Chapter 1. Millstone. The concrete and metal ruins submitted to the assaults of organic invaders crawling toward the sun. Twelve human generations had passed since the vegetable army began its campaign. In countless unrecorded victories, the army had opened cavities and crevices for trickles of water that froze and expanded to admit new invaders. The water germinated wind-blown deposits of seed and soil that reinforced the green army. Where it pooled, turncoat water locked pieces of the ruins safely away from the inchwise onslaught of the creeping war. Odessa's mind imposed the massive structure's original form on its remainder. Her companions allowed the lapse as they closed with the few fighters who belonged to the armies of a more hectic human war. The two wars proceeded at mutually imperceptible rates and scales, while the only observer they shared risked her life to stand caught between them. The cries of her companions broke the girl's trance, re-enlisting her in the human-scaled conflict. The faders they fought presided over the land and the ruin, but neither the faders nor the girl's own Norcos acknowledged the other's claims. If the leaders of the two tribes ever spoke, neither would have approved of what she was doing. For the faders, Odessa's raid represented an immoral act of aggression. For her own Norcos people, it was an insubordinate and foolhardy tactical error. Physically overmatched and further disadvantaged by the initiative her daydreams had cost her, Odessa barely managed to turn her attacker's opening sally from her head. Glancing from her machete, the fader's cudgel sent shocks through Odessa's shoulder and dropped her to her knees. Her arm numbed and her hand declined to obey. Her machete slipped through her fingers to drop softly into the bed of sword fern and horsetail at her feet. Odessa collapsed to her knees, exaggerating the fall to cover the upward swing of her dropped weapon's twin. She buried the weapon deep in her attacker's armpit, opening a warm sluice that collected in a pregnant drop at her elbow, then fell to blossom in the rain pools fringed by granite and moss beside her knee. The red rivulet that wrapped her arm swelled, branched, and darkened to an arterial burgundy. The fader's heart pumped off his muscles' power. Strikes pattered down about the girl's head. Standing, she twisted the machete and thrust her leg to send her heel into the man's kneecap, forcing him into a fall that brought his own body weight to bear on the gash, parting his open flesh to the joint. She still ached from the man's blow. She shook her arm and flexed her fingers while she watched him. She sensed the progress of the battle peripherally through the grunts and shouts of her companions. Running feet pounded hollowly across the compacted duff in a crescendo that alerted her to the approach of a new assailant. When she spun, she flung a red arc from the tip of her weapon. Nico flinched back, then clutched at his blood-spattered face in mock horror. Odessa reached for him with wide eyes before he threw her a grin and revealed his unblemished face. She laughed. Relief allowed her attention to wander back to her aching shoulder. Nico registered the pain but politely ignored it. I think you dropped this, he said, unless you wanted me to have it. Are we done? she asked as she took the weapon. Nico shook his head and stepped aside to give her a clearer view of their faltering line. Odessa and Nico strung their bows and stood shoulder to shoulder. Her arm trembled as she drew back on the string, her spasming muscles protesting the strain. Nico drew smoothly beside her. His shot improved the odds against Cutter, whose feet moved in elaborate patterns to prevent a stacked cluster of faders from attacking him three abreast. Odessa's shot slammed aside a fader closing on Chloe. The Norcos woman charged her wounded assailant, trapped his foot, pushed him down, and stomped at his ribs, then turned to catch Cutter's rearmost attacker between the ribs with her spear. Cutter slashed at his attacker's face and torso. The mutilated fader bulked and ran, but Cutter caught him by the hair and wrapped his arm around his neck from behind, plunging his knife with rapid piston thrusts into his kidneys. The last of Cutter's assailants ran too, shouldering past the two faders who'd declined the engagement from the beginning and now required only the thinnest excuse to abandon the field. Odessa and Nico drew calmly, adjusting their arc to intercept the fleeing fighters. They're running! Leave them! shouted Chloe. 
Odessa exhaled loudly and dropped the tip of her arrow. She watched Chloe, who returned her stare without flinching. Odessa shook her head, then returned her arrow to its quiver and shouldered her bow, exchanging a covert glance with Nico. Cutter voiced the surprise they all felt. "'You know, that's just one more we'll have to kill later,' he said. "'They live here,' said Chloe. "'We're just visiting. The war's bigger than the Fader and the Norcos now. Let them live a little longer if they can. They're dead with or without us.' "'No, they're not supposed to live here,' said Cutter. "'You've been fighting for a claim longer than all of us put together. You trained us to fight them, so now you're softening?' Chloe walked away. Cutter's insubordination was becoming more routine, and it disturbed Odessa to watch Chloe give ground to him. From Cutter's point of view, Chloe was the insubordinate one, she knew, but out here Chloe had always been their leader, the one who fought the best and who kept them safe. Cutter jerked his spear from a fader corpse at his feet and walked closer to his teacher. The Norcos gave you a gift when they made you one of us, he said. Don't throw it in our faces. You're too young to remember, she replied. When they gave me the marks, there was enough for everyone. I guess there were people who hated the Fader just as much back then, but it was easier to avoid them. There's more death now and less food. Come on, Cutter, said Nico. This is all politics. They're gone now, so why fight about whether we should have killed a few more of them? That's not what we're here for, right? Odessa agreed with Nico, and she was glad he was stepping in to provide cover for Chloe. The war with the Fader could wait. The ruin was there, beckoning to her from across the ages, older than Chloe, older than the Council's, older than the tribe's founding ancestors. Besides, if this works, we win, right? He asked. No more Fader, no more A.B. Odessa nodded. She was glad he'd said it. It saved her from having to convince them, convince herself, really, that they were on the track of something big. Maybe Cutter believed in the higher purpose. She was sure Nico did. Chloe seemed to have more of an I'll-believe-it-when-I-see-it attitude, and mostly she was there to cultivate and protect her star pupils, maybe Odessa most of all. Something else drove Odessa. Her private secret was that these ruins would have enticed her even without the big payoff. The higher purpose gave her little band the cohesion it needed to keep coming back, but Odessa had to wonder how much it mattered. Yes, they might exhume metal they wouldn't have access to otherwise, and there were a million uses they could put it to, but she had suspicions that none of it would be dramatic enough to consolidate Norco's hegemony in the way that Nico had just described. And if it wasn't enough to matter, what would the Council do to them when they found out how long they'd been violating the tribe's taboos against the Makers? Anyway, we'll be safer inside the ruin than we will be trying to fight them out here, said Odessa. I still haven't seen anything that makes me think they've tried to poke around inside. Even with the AB, they're still too afraid. Chloe worked on Odessa's arm while Nico drew Cutter away to give the two of them time alone. He might be a little credulous when it came to the higher purpose and the glory of the Norcos and all that, thought Odessa, but he could still be amazingly insightful when it came to her moods and needs. Sometimes it felt like he figured out what she wanted even before she did. The next time you want to shoot a fader in the back, whispered Chloe, just try to remember that you weren't born Norcos either. It was probably the most seditious thing the older woman had ever said to her student, but then the two women had shared dangerous confidences for many years. Maybe Cutter was right to be suspicious of her. Maybe Chloe's sympathies really were shifting. Odessa was a little surprised to find that she didn't care about Chloe's tribal loyalties as long as it didn't turn the older woman against her. A part of her recognized that she probably should care, but she dismissed it. In the years before the war had reached its current fevered pitch, the Norcos had commonly inducted their enemy's children into the tribe, though adoptees never attained the same status as their Norcos-born companions. Odessa knew Chloe's story better than her own, and adoption was probably too nice a word for what they'd done to her family and to her. Odessa's own nativity was hazier. Chloe affirmed vigorously, though, that they shared a common origin. Odessa's skin remained unblemished by either tribe's tattoos. 
She was an infant when her guardian joined the Norcos. Chloe, on the other hand, already bore the fader mark before the Norcos captured her, which meant that she was older than most of the Norcos' inductees when she was taken. The woman had willingly taken the Norcos mark and blotted out her old fader tattoo when she came of age, demonstrating her loyalty with needle and ink. Evidently, Chloe's Norcos marks, or the two decades she'd spent caring for and training the Norcos' children, weren't enough for Cutter anymore. Odessa feared for Chloe, and she feared to lose the independence they'd carved out together. But most of all, she feared to lose her access to the ruins. Cutter had been coming with them long enough so that his shared guilt might prevent him from revealing their secrets, but she knew that if he did choose to confess everything, his status would protect him far more than it would protect them. She already anticipated a scenario where he would testify to the council that she'd tempted him to participate in the violation of the Maker Ruins against his better judgment. In some ways, it wouldn't really be a lie. Cutter's interests had always been more centered around their outwitting and outfighting the Faders. Once they were inside the ruins, Odessa was the band's undisputed leader. Originally, she hadn't known what she was looking for. Maybe some treasure that could explain how the world went wrong when the Demon Makers fled from the consequences of their own creation. The tribal myths had never satisfied her. Ark helped give form to her shapeless dreams. Projects from the old world to test, clues about where to dig and what to do with the objects she found. She was still a child when she'd first scouted the Maker Ruins, and it was miraculous that she'd survived, even for a time of relative peace. Future visits would have killed her if Chloe hadn't shadowed her, compensating for the glaring failures of the girl's own family. Nico followed next, eager to join any activity that promised exclusive time with Odessa. Tales of Odessa's and Nico's exploits spread surreptitiously among their peers, enticing Cutter to test his mettle alongside two youth he'd formerly disdained. They accepted the haughty boy after their first scrape with the fader, during which Cutter's passable fighting abilities and precocious strategic instincts had impressed even Chloe. Chloe still intervened to prevent dire errors, but as the trio matured, it pleased her to encourage the growth of her best students with a lighter touch. Cutter signaled to the group that the path ahead was clear. Chloe moved to join Cutter at the front, while Nico dropped in beside Odessa. Chloe patronized Nico with a knowing smile as they switched places. Nico's devotion to Odessa amused Chloe, but she also appreciated him more for it. He would smother Odessa if she noticed him more, but either way Chloe appreciated how alert his infatuation made him when it came to protecting Odessa. Chloe wanted protection for Odessa not because the girl needed it, but because Chloe identified more closely with Odessa than she ever had with a Norco student. Chloe never had a family of her own, and Odessa hadn't really had a mother. They didn't talk about the nature of their relationship much, but they certainly filled emotional voids for each other. Chloe's favoritism and Odessa's perseverance had advanced the girl's skills well beyond most of her peers. Her exceptional progress under Chloe's tutelage had drawn the admiration of others besides Nico. The girl understood too late that the Norcos elders were watching her, and they were pleased with what they saw. Odessa's prize, like Cutter's, had been a premature offering of the tribal marks. When she refused, only her age saved her from a permanent loss of stature or even exile. Chloe had joined the elders in urging Odessa to submit. But eventually it was Chloe who changed her stance as she came to recognize her own growing dissatisfaction with the tribe, mirrored in Odessa's recalcitrance to commit to their hierarchies and protocols. Three years had passed, long enough for Odessa to be the only youth of her cohort who still hadn't submitted to the Norcos's needles and everything they stood for. She tried to avoid contact with the elders and downplay her talents, but the efficacy of her delay tactics was waning as she grew older. It wasn't just the wars or Cutter's self-righteous piety that imperiled Odessa's exploration of the ruins. Time itself was against her. As the four approached the grounds of the Forbidden Ruin, Odessa wondered if the excursion would be her last. 
The mill was by far the largest and most well-preserved ruin she'd ever discovered. Exploring Ark, she'd found a rich repository of images that depicted the edifice in its functioning days, so that when she arrived at the building itself, she didn't just see heaps of stone and craggy pinnacles. In her mind's eye, she saw loading platforms, grain elevators, processing and packaging facilities, an operation that Ark's data claimed could process the equivalent of a whole year's harvest in a single day. Reaching for the sky was the ruined central tower, a rookery of belligerent seagulls that raised cries of warning as they rose to circle above the intruders. Breezes riffled the sweat aura that clung to Odessa's chest, sides, and temples. The wind vocalized the tower's hanging detritus, layering inhuman, spine-crawling metal screeches atop the bird cacophony. Where once solid ladders and gangways had zigzagged up its outer wall, the tower now wore only wasted metal tendrils that faded into dark stains. The greater mass of the construction long since rusted into a jagged stalactite heap at the base of the tower. The four Norcos had summited the ruin's peak before. A windmill constructed of rough-hewn branches and stretched animal hides testified to their earlier conquests. The windmill's fat lubricated gearing transferred power to a carved wood screw that transported water, turn by turn, from the tower's flooded basement to a nearby ditch. The contraption, regarded as a whole, still felt like magic to Odessa and even more so to her companions. Each piece, the windmill, the gearing, the water screw, the drain, had taken form first as toy models. Ark had convinced her at the beginning that success was possible, but actual success came only after she persisted through scores of failures. If the makers had once wielded magic as the tribe's people's myths insisted, then her windmill was indeed magic, Odessa supposed. She'd set a force in motion that continued long after she left it alone. And that was the essence of maker magic as she understood it. For all of its failings, she was proud of the windmill. She watched its blades turning in lazy circuits and indulged the daydream of midwifing the rebirth of a world that made room once again for benevolent examples of maker work. They ascended the ruin together until midway up the structure, where they encountered the remains of a doorway. Now more cave mouth than door, the entrance gave them access to the ruin's inner depths. Chloe and Cutter settled into a stony outcropping that provided cover and visibility onto the approach below, while Odessa and Nico climbed inside the ruin. Odessa continued down in darkness, feeling the jagged stone staircase with her leading foot until it met nothing but air. Nico stopped as soon as she did. They both knew that the stair treads gave way unpredictably to steep falls. Odessa's flint clinked against her steel machete in the dark, catching at the tuft of tinder she held near her oil-soaked torch. By its light, they moved more quickly below the level of the tower's windows, into the clammy cistern dredged by Odessa's screw. At the base of the last blocked window frame, the color of the walls changed, darkening into a feathery cushion of dark slime. Water droplets clung to its mucosal sporophytes, reflecting torchlight like the inner surface of a green geode. Odessa slipped on the first staircase below the waterline, juggling her torch before dropping it to brace for the fall. Nico grabbed at her pack before she hit the ground, then lost his balance and pitched forward. They bumped and slid down a flight of stairs, splatting wetly on the next landing. Odessa wiped her hands down her thighs, saturating her leggings with the thick algae. Nico laughed and Odessa patted his cheek with a handful of the wet goop. Nice, he said. Here's your torch. The flame sputtered and faltered where Nico's torch touched hers, then climbed again in a halo of steam. Thanks, Odessa gasped not realizing until she'd spoken that she'd been holding her breath against the heavy smell of vegetable putrefaction. They adapted their gait to the strange surface, shuffling as if walking across a frozen lake. The screw still turned in the middle gap between the staircases, its terminal thread brushing the surface of the water with each rotation. 
Greasy bubbles floated on rainbows that swirled from the tip of the screw out across the surface of the water. Odessa dipped her toe in the water. It was cold, but not unbearable. Plunging into the water tested not only their physical fortitude, but their courage as well. They'd both grown up hearing stories about the poisonous horrors of the Maker's work. It was one thing to clamber across their inert stones, barely recognizable beneath the creeping forest's purifying reclamations. It was another thing altogether to immerse oneself in a well of polluted tailings. Nico grabbed Odessa's shoulder and she almost fell again. Hey, what are you doing? she asked. Just please, wait a minute, he said. I need a second. He stooped and gathered the dark water in his hands, sniffing it and rubbing it between his fingers to gauge its viscosity. Odessa could understand his caution, but felt impatient to push on. Nothing could turn her back now, so it was pointless to her to try to figure out whether it was safe. How do you know it's not toxic, he asked. It probably isn't, but I don't know, she admitted. Let's go, though. Remember, there's not much daylight left back on the surface. It was a mistake for her to dismiss his fears so easily, she realized. Chloe and the other Norcos teachers trained their students to spot and correct judgment errors exactly like these, regardless of rank or sentiment. It was procedural, not personal. If Nico stopped her, he'd basically be following the script they'd both been taught. I don't like this maker shit, Nico said, pointing at the water. I agree with you. Some of that stuff about never going near a maker ruin is all a little over the top. You showed me that. But if there wasn't danger, we wouldn't have the rules in the first place, so I don't want to swing to the other extreme. Blindly breaking the rules is just as bad as blindly following them. She turned and grabbed at the pack strap across Nico's chest, catching his eye and smiling. Hey, it's going to be okay, she said. Nico smiled back and Odessa felt a pang of guilt muddled with her triumph. It was a little too easy sometimes to get him to follow her, especially if she touched him. Tell me why it's going to be okay, he pleaded. He'd already relented, she saw, but the Norcos protocol demanded an explicit rationale. So she tried to give him one that was plausible enough to satisfy his conscience. Ark had a lot to say about this place, she said. This whole area is a graveyard for Maker Industry. There were huge metal ships that dropped off food and tools close to here. The stuff they made came in from across the ocean packed in metal boxes almost as big as a longhouse, and they sent their stuff out on the boats too. This mill was one of the places where they made food for hungry people all over the world. What kind of food? asked Nico. Grain and flour, she said. I think that was all. But a lot of it, I mean a huge amount of it. They put the grain in these columns, then they ground it up, put it in bags, and shipped it out. The Fisher Flour Mill, they called it. Oh, so they sold fish, too, then, said Nico. That makes more sense. Explains the water, too. But what kind of fish would want to live in... No, no fish, Odessa interrupted him. It was only the name. Flour, that's all they made. I don't... Uh, Nico trailed off. I don't get it. Why'd they need such a big building just to make flour? I don't know, because it was a lot of flour, that's why. But my point is, people ate what they made here. There couldn't be anything poisonous about that, right? Because then no one would have traded with them, and they couldn't have built something this big if no one was trading with them. Based on what she'd read in Ark, her logic had some pretty big holes, but she hoped Nico wouldn't notice. He eyed the water and shifted his pack to retrieve his spear. So it was like a big root cellar, he said? Yeah, exactly, she said. Nico shook his head and grimaced as he stepped into the water, reaching out for the bottom with the butt end of his spear. The outline of the door to the inner chamber was obscured by curtains of algae and roots that resisted their flint knives. Once through, they lashed their packs to the door frame and left a torch burning in a makeshift sconce beside it. Hulking machine reefs materialized at the outer edge of their torchlight. Only by the echo of their splashes, thigh high on Nico and waist high on Odessa, could they guess at the room's size. They tapped the floor beneath the water with their sticks to look for obstacles, 
but Nico still barked his shins on unseen protrusions, and Odessa once plunged over her head into a deep chasm that opened infinitely beneath her feet. She swam to the surface and found her footing on the other side, relieved that she'd had the foresight to lighten her pack before they'd entered the ruin. Submersion had preserved deposits of iron, steel, aluminum, and copper, saving them from the rapid open-air oxidation that had assaulted the tower's outer ladders and walkways. The best samples lay at the core of the machine reefs, gantry arms, grain hoppers, and conveyor tracks that had long since slipped their fittings and crashed into the lower levels in broken heaps atop piping and conduit, boiler tanks, pneumatic pistons. If a maker had been there to point to the machines and name them, Odessa might have recognized components from the words and diagrams she'd studied in ARC, but the machines had no individual form or function for her now. Within the derelict mass, she saw only raw ore for the Norcos's tools and weapons. The trove was bigger than she'd hoped. She'd anticipated finding usable metal deposits in the pit, but her imagination hadn't carried her as far as planning out how to extract them. Most of what she and Nico found was too big to carry, so they dug in the muck looking for flawed joints and brackets that broke away to release pieces they might have a chance of lifting on their own. There weren't many candidates, and it took effort to find them. By the time they settled on a system for pulling apart the metal, their feet were numb and their hands raw. Finally, they each selected a piece of scrap some 50 pounds each, a load that was barely manageable even for the short trip back to the exit. Nico misstepped around a pit, and the weight carried him down with alarming speed. He released his weight and swam upwards. The piece sank beneath his feet, and he kicked hard to escape the eerie sounds that propagated through the water when the debris bounced against large metal fixtures on its downward course. Odessa, once dunked in the abyss and now holding their last torch, was more careful with her load. She left Nico struggling in the darkness, deposited her piece on the staircase, and returned with a new dry torch. When she found him again, he was sitting still in the water, arms hugging his chest. When he stood, she saw that he held his knife hidden behind his armpit. Just wanted to make sure it was you, he said as he sheathed the weapon. I need to get out of here. It's creepy, she agreed. Yeah, I keep thinking a maker's going to grab me and drag me down, he said. I think at this point I'd much rather be fighting the fader. <laughs>